Boom! What's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Super pumped to be talking about theoretical linguistics. We have Marco Yukic showing us on the show. Hello. How's it going, Alan? Pleasure to meet you. Yes, it's such a pleasure. Super grateful that we were introduced by Mike Johnson, Quality oh, yeah. Research Institute oh, yeah. team. Good guy. Yeah, super grateful for them. And I've been loving reading your work about figuring out how to effectively be able to learn languages, practically yeah. learn languages. This is really fascinating. Your background's really cool. So theoretical linguist, developing methods that are effective and practical to learn new languages, studied Arabic, Russian, German, Latin, English, and many more That's right. languages. That's right. And the links in the bio are to his website where he has a tremendous amount of posts and visuals about this is really good. Also the Twitter link is below. Let's start with this big history perspective. like. We find ourselves as stewards of Earth. What is your current take on the state of humanity? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you look at the history of humanity, it's, uh, it's only been uh, 10, 20,000 years since we've had a civilization, as far as I know, although I've heard some theories that that goes uh, deeper into the past than we, uh, than we know right now. Um, only had industrial civilization for uh, 200 years, maybe 250. If you uh, if you really go back and look at the roots, maybe we've had that before, and we just uh, don't know about it anymore because mm -hmm. there was a <laughs> mm -hmm. catastrophic collapse far back in the past. But we don't know that for sure yet, maybe. Um, and now we're entering the uh, the uh, the information era. Basically, it looks like right. We've got a. Uh, Less, uh, you know, there's a, there's a famous Peter Thiel quote or whatever about Twitter and flying cars. You know, we, we, we thought we'd get flying cars. Instead, we got Twitter. You know, that says something about uh, the, 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 the state of uh, technological development these days. And it's very much, it's very much going into the micro instead of the macro. You know, no, uh, no galactic spaceships yet. Uh, you know, we'll see what SpaceX does. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, man. And um, it looks like at the same time we're kind of at a kind of at an inflection point i think with uh with everything that's going on at the same time we're having a lot of crazy development in information technology you've got your blockchain you've got your you know facial recognition you know augmented reality virtual reality all this stuff and and yet at the same time we're uh maybe it maybe looks like we're having more political and like social problems than ever and maybe that stuff is related but um mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how the world will look even 50 years from now, right? You know, well, I don't even know how it'll look uh, a year or two from now, let alone 50. But uh, maybe it looks like uh, the uh, the possibility space is uh, greater than it ever has been before. We could have an AI singularity, as uh, as a lot of people think uh, think will happen, or uh, or maybe the the whole thing collapses and we're going back to pre-industrial, you know, tribal civilization, as some other people think will happen. And so we really got the whole spectrum of uh, outcomes. Basically, it looks like. And me personally, um, I'm not making any bets. I think it's best to prepare for all possible outcomes. I, uh, I guess I'm not so certain about either of the extremes, but uh, you know, uh, we don't really know what's going to happen, so we're just going to have to deal with the consequences. <laughs> I like your, I like your take on the state of humanity a lot, especially the the teal quote on. Uh, we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters yeah, instead. Yeah. It's a very profound quote. It, it really does teach about are we thinking on the moonshot galactic perspective yeah. of civilization or are we thinking about building an app for a phone? Yeah. So yeah. This, this really gives a, a solid perspective. Um, also, I want to know how you picked up your interest in linguistics. Yeah. 
growing yeah. up. You're only 23. I'm 23. Yeah. I'm a young, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a young gun. I'm a young yeah. gun. Yeah. Although, you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't that long ago when I was 19. And I have to say, I feel, I feel much older now, believe it or totally. not. But that's yeah. just the, you know, the bliss of youth maybe. But um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, you know, I've got an interesting background. I, I usually hate explaining it, but I, you know, I guess we're here. I, I must. Yes. Um, I grew up bilingual, uh, speaking Croatian and English. My, my dad spoke English with me, my mom Croatian, and uh, ironically, you know, this is kind of a funny story, the, uh, the first language I ever spoke was, was actually Slovenian, which I no longer speak. And so what happened was uh, when I was a little baby, you know, one or two years old, whatever it was, we were uh, living in Slovenia. And, um, and my parents said one day, you know, it's, uh, it's time to teach him how to speak. So they sit me down, my, my dad comes in with a ball, and he's like, you know, ball ball. My mom's like, lopta, which is, you know, Croatian for ball. And I, and I look at them and I say, joga, because I'd, I learned that from the kids on the playground already. And, you know, I was, I was confused. I was like, what, you know, come on, you know, ball, what is this? And uh, so anyway, you know, I, I, it, 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 it only got more interesting from there, basically over the next uh, 20 years or whatever. Um, let's see, I, I, I lived abroad most of my life, a uh, whole bunch of countries that, uh, you know, you've never heard of, and uh, <laughs> I guess I just got a lot of exposure to uh, languages and linguistics, basically. Both of my parents spoke, like, spoke or studied about five, six languages each, you know. I, um, I studied German and French in elementary school, studied Azeri at one point, which was uh, very interesting. What, what is um, that? What is Azeri? Azerbaijani. Oh, Azerbaijani. Azerbaijani. Yeah, exactly, oh, okay. exactly. So it's a Turkic language. I, I lived there for a few years uh, growing up. And um, basically, around the time I was 15 or 16, I sort of thought to myself, hey, I can, you know, you know, I sort of, you know, grew into my own consciousness, if that makes sense. And I realized I can, I can learn languages myself in my own time. I don't, I don't need to learn everything I want to learn in school, basically. Yes. And so I, I actually discovered Duolingo before it was even uh, released. I'm, I'm sure you know about Duolingo. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I big, don't. Big language. What is that? I don't. What if our viewers don't? Yeah. So, so Duolingo, Duolingo is a, a great site. A lot of users now, um, basically, they give you free language learning lessons in these uh, very tightly created um, courses. It's very, it's very gamified. It's got like, you know, you start off with uh, simple phrases and sentences. You kind of, you know, expand and you cover a bunch of topics. And uh, it's all free. And I think originally their, their business plan was that um, they would teach people languages and then have them translate documents for, for clients. And then eventually they, they dropped that and just switched to certification from what I understand. Uh, so that's Duolingo. Um, still a great resource. Totally recommend it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I got into Duolingo 15, 16. I was on the pre-beta or whatever. Studied Spanish, Portuguese, Italian. You know, they had a, you know, a couple different languages. They got a lot more now. Um, and it was around that time that I started noticing like uh, interesting, you know, as, I, as, as I've said before, maybe glitches in the matrix when it comes to language learning. Mm. Um, Unpack that a bit for us. Yeah. Sure, sure. So um, this might be getting into my, my theory. In a bit, getting into theory? Then, yeah. This, okay, then keep going yeah. on journey. And sure, sure, sure. Later, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see. Started notice, noticing some glitches in the matrix. Eventually went to college and I decided uh, I loved languages so much that I would study nothing but languages at college. So I took German, Arabic, Russian, and Latin all simultaneously. Um, after about a year and a half, they basically said, you know, this 
You can't major in uh, learning languages. You, have, you can do linguistics if you want, or you can choose one language, but you can't just study a bunch of them. And so I thought, well, this is really what I enjoyed about college. And so shortly after I started majoring, I, I just dropped out instead. Yeah. And then went on a, went on a journey basically through uh, entrepreneurship and uh, cryptocurrency, you know. Great. Did some odd jobs here and there, did some more language studies, sort of made my way in the world. And um, yeah, I, I eventually got enough money that I could uh, do this uh, more or less full time. And so uh, that's, that's what I've been focusing on recently. And um, I'm actually trying to write a book now Good. on the on the topic, try and get the whole the problem. I've, uh, I've written a few articles on the problem. Yes. I'm going to start getting into uh, the, the, the solution, the method and the theory behind, right. a, behind a possible solution. I'm, uh, I'm not quite done with that yet. I'm in the process of finishing it. And I think uh, over the next uh, year or two, we'll, uh, we'll get that done, hopefully. And you're going to give us some hints at what you've been learning as Absolutely. well as uh, what are some of your uh, solution yeah, as well, exactly. which is we'll, going to we'll be We'll definitely exciting. talk about that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really interesting hearing about your upbringing where your parents spoke five, six languages each that, yeah. you know, even when you're young, it's like you know, ball, lupta. Yeah. 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 And then the third one, it's like, you know, even having an object that has these different, just that in itself, having a different word, I believe it was, it's down to on the Rosetta project with long yeah. now, it's yeah. some, what is it down to just a couple thousand languages now are in circulation, like 5,000 or so? Yeah, it's a few thousand. It's a few thousand. I remember probably looking at National Geographic maps growing up that said seven to eight, you know, that might have decreased by now, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know the exact number myself. Um, I do know if you if you go even further and you look at major world languages, That's it's right. uh, yeah. even at 50, you're you're starting to reach basically even at 50. So that yeah, there yeah, a lot yeah. of languages out yeah, there. Yeah, and it's like Mandarin, Arabic, uh, English yeah. are yeah. already like what is that like five billion people or something? Four billion? Yeah, probably ridiculously probably. high. Yeah. yeah, Mandarin alone's got to be one and a half billion. You know. And then Hindi too. Hindi, yeah. Spanish, Spanish, Spanish is big. Spanish. Yeah, Spanish is those big like whatever that is. Six languages are like yeah. five billion people or something yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, like it's that. a Pareto principle. Pareto principle, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that is this is one of these things that that we could we could you know we're we're going to talk about this as well. This this big history of of language. Actually, this would be good to talk about. I just want to say one more thing about your upbringing. I'm really happy that you had this. Um, not only you had technology yeah. at your fingertips, something like a Duolingo, yeah. right? You wanted to pick it up and you had this self-motivated learning, which we see yeah. so much now in millennials, Gen Z and younger, these little gradients of micro generations going down is now they yeah. can pick up something and learn it as much yeah. as they want. Also, you know, the collegiate system needs to adapt. Like if they, yeah. if, they if, yeah. if you wanted to go and study things, make your own major type thing. Yeah, um, definitely. Okay, so now let's let's do this. So, you know, when you initially said like the start of civilization, we don't actually quite know if it had previously collapsed before, what it, what has happened exactly. But something that we do know is that it seems to be through the um, examples of things like writing and artwork and hieroglyphics and and printing presses and all the way up to now the internet, we do yeah. hypothesize about things like grunting and things like forming these initial yeah. words. So it's yeah. te teach us about that big history with language. The big history of language, let's see. Um, I don't think we actually know when and why language came to exist. It goes so far back in our evolutionary past that we, we really don't have any good idea how it went down, which is extremely interesting to me because it is maybe one of, it is an extremely complicated system in terms of the um, conceptual relationships and the structures that we have. It's like, it's a, it's a very large amount of information. There are very large amounts of vocabulary. 
Um, it's hard to imagine how it, how, how it sort of popped up out of nowhere, so it probably didn't. Um, but it's also hard to imagine how it evolved, basically, right? And so it's, it's, it's still a big question that we, that we don't know too much about. Um, about the farthest back that we can go, um, you know, one, one interesting fact um, that I like to, uh, you know, I like to use as like a bit of an example with people is um, writing. Uh, language entirely preceded writing. Very interesting. Most of the language that we look at today is, uh, is in writing, I would, I would guess, right? People are looking at their phones, they're looking at their computers, they're reading books, they're reading signs. Um, they still talk a lot, you know, uh, for now, you know, people, people still use speech, obviously, although less than in the past, maybe, but um, language was, you know, totally, it was, it was fully complete in terms of complexity and meaning and whatnot before, before writing ever came about, you know. When the first people invented writing, as far as we can tell, they, uh, they already had a complex language. They weren't grunting when they came up with writing, you know. The, uh, the first, the first, um, I forget if it's, the, is it the first written work? Um, the Iliad is like the first piece of literature in the Western canon, and it dates back to like 1000 BC or maybe earlier. And the Iliad is very, very long and very complex. You know, it's got um, ancient Greek at that time had a lot of cases. It was grammatically complex. They, they had a very complex vocabulary. They had a lot of gods. They had a lot of names. They had these complex narratives and stories. And all of this was transmitted orally, generation to generation, long before they ever invented writing. And, and, and when they did invent writing, it started off with little, you know, sort of the, the written equivalent of grunts, maybe, you know, little, little pictures that eventually became a, you know, character kind of based system, sort of like Chinese is now. Eventually alphabets, uh, which we still use today. Um, I know I went off on a bit of a tangent there, so if you have any questions. That's so fascinating already. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I'm is. glad, I'm glad. It's so cool. Um, it's, 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 an, it's really, really interesting thinking about how when we're looking all the way back at these first initial ways of representing information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what's nuts. How, yeah. how did we, communication, collaboration yeah. is such a huge yeah. <laughs> part yeah. of the human evolution. So yeah, yeah talk about the relationship of, of like, like that language with a, a piece of information and being able to you know draw that out, communicate right. it to right. someone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, it's like um, you know we can see we can see animals communicating in different ways. Um, you might say mostly through body language. Some of them have you know some of the I mean some of them a lot of a lot of animals make uh, noises of different kinds and some of them use those to communicate. Um, I think scientists have been looking at whales, dolphins, maybe uh, maybe apes like gorillas and monkeys yeah. in terms of uh, you know what kind of uh, they've got like you know I maybe can speak they dolphin. Yeah, yeah, speak dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll need to we'll need to add that to the I list of uh, yeah. languages to teach. Basically, it's a secret. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I won't pry, but um. <laughs> I want to like put an EEG on a dolphin. Yeah, exactly. Next to another yeah, dolphin. exactly. See, see what it's thinking, what yeah. they're communicating. It's like. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, so yeah, some of them like maybe they have high pitched, um, high pitched grunts or noises for certain things, lower pitched ones for different ones. So there, there, you know, you, we can sort of see something like a proto proto language. I mean, it's hard to even call it a language. It's definitely a system of communication when it comes to animals. And so we can maybe assume that humanity had something similar. But it's like, you know, I think they say the uh, the key thing about human language that makes it such a, such a killer sort of uh, adaptation for the human race is that. Um, it's, um, you can sort of, language is such that with, uh, with a small amount of rules and uh, words, basically, concepts, 
you're able to produce an, an infinite amount of sentences, an infinite amount of meanings, right? Mm. And that's very useful for the world we live in because the world we live in is extremely complicated, lots of things we don't know about, lots of new things. If you're out there on the African savannah or whatever, you know, 500,000 years ago, I don't quite know the, mm -hmm. the yeah, dates exactly, but um, figuring out how to, how to communicate complex um, relationships uh, information about relationships in the world that is, uh, you know, more than just a, a warning or a, um, you know, verbal attack or something, which are, you know, sort of the things that uh, animals can do, would be extremely, extremely useful. It, it basically allows you to communicate uh, your experiences of the world yes. to other yes. other human beings. And pass that down to children. Yes, exactly, yeah. which allows for cultural transmission, basically, yes. over generations, over, over generations, time. Yeah. So, so now you're able to... You know, if you can only grunt and make, you know, like, like for example, a warning is a good example of the kind of thing you can do with a grunt. You know, like when you grunt, that's a warning. There's a predator around. Now imagine instead of, you know, that's sort of like, that's limited in time and in area. You can only make the grunt once. It's like a limited space. They can hear it. Um, it's limited over time. It's only relevant for, for a short while. Once you have language, you can now, as you said, you know, transmit that culturally uh, to children over generations. Now you can have you know, pieces of information that exist for longer than a human lives. And you can, um, with language, transmit it um, to many, many people at once. And like, they can tell each other, they can say, oh, uh, Alan told me this, you know, and then someone else can say, yeah, Alan told someone that he told me this. Like now the information lives, you know, across multiple human beings instead of just one and over a long period of time. Um, very interesting stuff. Very interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah, right. and then that, that's that's building up the foundation of collective learning over time. Exactly, and yeah. that's that. This is why we've managed to have such a complex design world now that we're, yeah. that we're so privileged yeah. to live. Yeah. You know, eighty years in, and 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 have the access to the tools that give us this these these abilities to yeah. summon things so quickly. And now, okay, on on a. Um, on a, on a let's get into the, the the granularity on the latter side of things. So that sure. was more on the on the more recent side or the more on the more historical side of things. Now it's you know eight billion people video calling each other across the planet. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of emails being sent every couple of hours. These are like crazy yeah. crazy yeah. statistics. Yeah, um, a lot of communication. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of communication. Maybe even too much, overly. Yeah. saturated on the communication the amount of tweets and sure. posts and stuff like that where's the signal yeah no this is interesting so um, if you if you look at how complex and technical and granular language can be if you look at the you know the very specific meanings of, of, of words and of grammatical structures um, I think once you understand this more more deeply, which many people don't for, for whatever reason, you know, grammar used to be part of the trivium, which was logic, rhetoric, and grammar. That would be like the basic thing they taught in like uh, classical schools. Now, nobody really looks at it, so a lot of people don't sort of think about this. But if you do, and you look at all this communication that's happening, um, an interesting thing is that I think 90% of, of, of communication that's, that's, that's out there on like Twitter, for example, um, first of all, does not even it is not even 
meant to be sort of cooperative communication. <laughs> it's meant to be just rhetoric. It's, it's the verbal equivalent. It's like a grunt, in fact. It's the verbal equivalent of an angry grunt at someone else, like people arguing, not really intending to get to the bottom of, a, of, a, of an issue and learn something from each other, but yes. just trying to attack and beat down the other person, right? Yeah. So in a way, they're, they're not even using language. It looks like language, yeah. but they're not really using it to communicate, you know, uh, things about the about the world. They're using it to attack each other. That's I would say that's like ninety percent. I may be exaggerating. Then of that ten percent that's left over, I would say ninety percent of that is just um, people have not agreed on the correct definitions of words, essentially. Yeah. And so, although they might be trying to to um, learn something from each other in a cooperative way about the world using language. They end up basically they they don't they don't realize that they're using different definitions or terms or have different ideas about what what they are talking about in their heads, and so they they, they just can't ever reach a resolution. Like you might say, they're stuck on semantics. And so one percent of all communication that's going on, the real signal, yeah. right? One percent might be the real signal where people totally understand what they're talking about, are able to talk about it very well, and are intending to talk about it and, and learn something new with each other, basically. Being a quantumist, exactly. friendly, exactly. wanting to learn from exactly. each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think 1% of communication. You know, just because yeah. just, just somebody is talking doesn't mean it's communication, right? That's a very, <laughs> that's a very interesting point to, to even say that, that, that the intent behind that yeah. those messages are like beating yeah. down rather yeah. than Let's learn from each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I want to understand you. Yeah. You know, how you got yeah. to where you are today. Yeah. Completely different yeah. uh, approach yeah. to, with that intent. And, and, and if you think about it, uh, back when uh, language emerged from the evolutionary, you know, the evolutionary soup, it's like you wouldn't need language if you, if you were just trying to beat down on other people. You wouldn't need it. So it wouldn't evolve from that. You would need language if you were trying to communicate information and people would actually have to use it. Correct. So you might say that language itself has a, its, its nature is cooperative, right, because of this. It is, it is the cooperative nature that would make it necessary in the first place. So if the nature of language is for it to be used cooperatively, we see now language being used in a non-cooperative yeah. way, which what could have, it seems like was, was language potentially used in other ways as well that were not cooperative in the past? Oh, but, definitely. Yeah, yeah like no, control. definitely. Control. Well, control c could be a type of cooperation, actually, if you look right, at sure, like, sure. A, if you look at like a large state, right? Like, um, like this is something I talk about sometimes too. Um, states historically have a huge interest in, in language and the language people use. Because much like you need language to cooperate, a state in, in a way is, a, uh, is built on the cooperation of large numbers of people in specific ways. And so to, to have that, you, they all need to speak um, a standard language. And so you see yeah, yeah. Um, the Soviet Union tries to standardize Russian across, across all of its territories. Um, yeah. Uh, China in the 50s and 60s uh, simplifies its character system. They used to have traditional characters. Then they, I think they were they were planning to actually replace it with uh, the Roman alphabet, even because it would it would be a lot easier. It would greatly simplify the uh, the sort of needs of the bureaucracies and of the state in terms of like, you know, I mean, just writing anything basically. But they ended up not doing that for reasons that I'm not totally certain of. 
but they did simplify the, uh, the character system. Um, something like uh, only 40% of France at the time of the French Revolution, uh, French Revolution spoke French. They had a lot of other languages back then as well in France, sort of local languages that don't really exist anymore and they don't exist because the state mm. instituted French as, as the language that everybody would speak. And this allows everybody to coordinate basically around the state. Um, however, uh, yes, you can definitely use language uh, in a non-cooperative way, but that would probably be the uh, the least useful thing you could do with language, although people will still do it. Yeah. You know, How I many mean, that's sort of like rhetoric is, maybe. The, you called it the evolutionary soup, and that's, yeah. it's interesting because of the <laughs> uh, yeah, amount of, uh, of, of ways that we formed languages, and then the ways that we, uh, to cooperate, and then the ways that we uh, also ended languages in order to have people cooperate in within countries with yeah. these, within these yeah. nations um, this the you and I we could spend hours just talking about yeah the evolution on the big history side of language oh, yeah. and how it's oh, used yeah. now versus back in, in the evolution but we need to talk about the theory we need to talk yes. about this so yes. we have um, this theory of the theory of learning language is wrong is your yeah. is your is your premise and I, I like this a lot because yeah. it already starts off with the way that we're learning things is wrong and then the ideal way is that we need a clear success condition yes which that'll be when yeah when well, the pretty much the clear success condition right now is like you go through learning like English in the United States and then it's like can you speak English at the end yeah. and the answer is yeah. yeah you can speak great yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and that, yeah yeah the question is what does that mean what exactly is, yeah, correct yeah yeah. yeah yeah and for other languages and too. we have and we have slides to walk us through so yes. yeah yes. so we can we should pull them up now as we go through yeah yeah if we okay. could do the uh, the first slide that would be good let's do it all right so here is your Here's your, you know, you're talking about the theory of language learning. Here is the current theory. This is sort of implicit. It's, it's often not so implicit. It's often explicit. Oh, let's go back. Oh, sorry. No worries, no worries. We'll get, we'll get to this uh, gibberish in a moment. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is basically your mainstream paradigm explaining what it means to speak a language or to know a language, uh, even to fluency. You've got your speaking, listening, writing, and reading. S L W R. Oh, it's, it's it's on auto probably. It's probably ah, on. Ah, gotcha, It's okay. Gotcha. It's all good. It's all good. No. Sorry. Let's, sorry, yeah, sorry, let's okay. Okay. Sorry. We're, sorry, we're, sorry, we're here now. We're here now, everyone. <laughs> all right. All right. I wanted to be a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll keep. I'll monitor it on this. Yeah, okay, all right. Sorry, all right. Sorry, all right. So yeah, this is your mainstream definition of what uh, of what language ability is. Um, if you look at course descriptions at major universities, if you look at the way uh, commercial language products are broken up in terms of what, what the courses consist of, this is usually how it's done. You've got production and you've got reception, mm. oral and written, there's, you mm -hmm. know, if you want to, you can uh, communicate a language in Morse code or Braille or other things, but generally people don't learn that. They just speak it or they write it and read it. Um, and this is basically all there is to it. This is, the, this is the theoretical underpinning that explains why language learning courses and products are the way that they are, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. This explains why they have the things they have, why they have, um, you know, drills, exercises, <laughs> like the whole shebang, <laughs> yeah. you know, all that stuff, cultural, cultural sort of little explanations. Like, I, you know, I could, I could go on this for a while. You have a lot of different products and they all vary a little bit, but they all share this idea of a language is that which you can speak, listen, read, and write. Yeah. And those four things are essentially indefinitely improvable skills, those four things, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. The idea is 
you want to practice these four skills as they relate to a particular language, and you just keep practicing them forever. That's basically what it is. And it's funny, I, I used to, you know, I used to ask sort of my professors in college, so, so when will I speak Russian fluently? Mm -hmm. And what they would say is, well, you never really stop learning a language, mm -hmm. which is true in a sense. It's true in a sense. However, we do know that there are fluent speakers of languages and non-fluent speakers, and people actually generally don't really question who, who is who, right? Like the, the distribution of language skill, if it was true that you, you never really stop learning a language and that you might think the, the sort of you might think the, uh, the progression of skill over time would be linear, or maybe it would be, you know, maybe it would look like this, maybe it would look like this. Yeah. But you would think that you would think that you'd have a sort of even distribution of skill, but if you actually look at people out there who, who, who speak languages, if you take any individual language, it's, it's, uh, it's much more like a, um, I think it's called a binomial distribution. That, that might be the wrong word, but um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's bifurcated. You have a lot of people who don't speak it, very few people in the middle, and then you have a lot of people who are fluent, right? So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a U. Yeah, and, and then on the side of usually not speaking it yeah. is really high, and, yes. then the, yes. and then the partial speakers is very low, and then exactly. the speakers are higher than that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so that's interesting. That's interesting. That suggests that this is, is not actually true, right? It suggests that there's, a, there's something that needs to be done that will get you to fluency, mm -hmm. and people are just not doing it, basically. And then this is also um, this is also interesting because then it, it says that the two ways of engaging with language is to either go out or receive in, produce or receive, yes. Yes. and that there what it, what a, like how else are there ways to have a shared experience about an object or feeling or yeah. experiences that way, and then what else is there past oral and written? Uh, what what else you thought? Yeah, you know, yeah. there's so many other yeah ways of you know, this is you know this is something that we need to evolve past, and it's surprising that you know maybe some of the spiritual leaders of the past thousands of years prior to today yeah. have were way past this type of connection to yeah. Oh well, they they, they, yeah. they definitely had a deeper connection, and when we get into the uh, the limits of language, we might uh, we might cool. talk about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that definitely. this is on language ability, and it's yeah. also ridiculous that the that the curriculum seems like it's. It's not uh, the success condition. Like, where is the success condition yeah. on that distribution? And yeah, they, and they don't have one, basically. They, they, they don't have one. I th and I think that's the entirety of the problem, right? And if you try to solve that problem, you get, you get everything else that we'll get into in a second okay. when it comes to a solution to this problem, basically. All right, let's go. Let's move on then. So, Look, this. this is <laughs> the genity. Yeah. You want to read it? <laughs> the genity bloop gradoped stinwilly through the. Eredited Hunwald's Apolutus. All right. <laughs> so here we have a, a nonsense sentence. This is a gibberish sentence. The sentence does not mean anything that, that we recognize, but there are a few interesting things about this. You to go to the, uh, the next slide. Even though all of the words, almost all the words, we have some you know, more, more common words here just to tie together, but only three. Even though the vast majority of the words in the sentence are, are total gibberish, when you, when you speak this sentence, we both immediately recognize that it is English. Mm. And the even more interesting thing is that we, we recognize all of these conceptual structures that tie the words together, even though we yeah. don't know what they mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. even though we don't know what a bloop is, 
we know that it is genity. Yeah, it's a right? genity bloop. Exactly, yeah, yeah. it's a genity bloop. We, yeah. we have no idea what these two words mean, but we, un but, but we are gaining yeah, some yeah. information. We gain that the genity is the adjective, exactly. and that the bloop is the noun. Exactly. Yeah. We know that the bloop gradopt. We know that it gradopt in a Stindwiley way. We know that the Hunwald well, was keep, eredited. Keep breaking this, keep breaking this out. The Break this, yeah. yeah. So this is a so, verb. Exactly. Verb, yeah. So, so we know that um, we know the bloop gradopt, and we know that it that you know because it's past tense. We recognize the past tense sort of morphology, the ed at uh -huh. the end there. We know that this happened in the past. We we recognize the ly morphology, uh, indicating most likely an adverb. Uh -huh. So we know that the uh, the gradopping happened in a you know stindwiley way. Yep. Um, we can recognize the ty could also be a sort of adjectival morphology. So we recognize that it's referring to the bloop. Uh -huh. um, the bloop. There's no there's no particularly common morphology there indicating what part of speech it is. So we know it's most likely a noun. Um, Am I missing anything the, there? Let's those see. are good it's in the first part. Yeah, in the first yeah. part. Through the. Through the, you know, nothing strange there. Those are yeah. common English words. Um, and we know that irredited, you know, the ED arrives again, but this time, than being the sort of ED that you have in the, uh, in the verb, we, we recognize due to the uh, placement of words with Hunwald and the apostrophe S indicating it's a noun in the uh -huh. possessive, we know that this is uh, also an adjective, and it's uh, it's an adjective referring to uh, to uh, something that was uh, eredited. It was erediting. Something else was erediting this thing in the past, right? And of course, we get to uh, the apolitus, also a nonsense word. Um, we know that the uh, the apolitus belonged to the Hunwald due to the apostrophe s, which is a possessive morphology, basically. It's crazy that this sentence, although is gibberish, yes, we can still go. You still break down these grammar points. Yeah, exactly. In a gibberish exactly. sentence. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. what? So what's the meaning behind that? The meaning behind that is that a language is is not primarily its vocabulary. A language is, is more than the words that make it up, basically. Even though most of the words here mean nothing that we know of, mm -hmm. um, we, still, we still immediately absorb this, this wealth of meaning about the words that are there when it is spoken. Yeah. And so this is, this is very, very, very interesting, basically, because yeah. you could imagine, you could imagine a language or a system of communication where, um, where the sort of this sort of uh, these rich conceptual structural relationships were were either not very important or not there whatsoever, and the the entirety of the meaning consisted of sort of individual blocks of content words, right? But we don't have that. We have these very very implicit um, structures that we call yeah. grammar and syntax, um, and you could go into morphology as well. Um, that essentially um, essentially represent very basic features of, of human reality, yeah. which I will also get to when it comes to case in a second. Very basic things like cause, effect, yeah. time, right? These are like, yeah, yeah. These are like when, you, when, you, when you talk about a, when you say the words glass of water, a glass of water is a very you know, real, specific, not an abstract thing. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at grammatical categories and things like this, you're, you're, these, uh, the content that is represented there is, is not something that's real and immediate like a glass of water or an object. It's something very abstract, but that is applicable to, to a lot of situations, right? And so it's probably not a coincidence that that is how it turned out uh, when it comes to communication. Yeah. 
Th this is so <laughs> so nuts. Yeah, uh, the, I know. The, 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 yeah. How could how could one have this? This is such an interesting discovery that yeah. you're highlighting that 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 we have this like grammar, syntax, so many of these things that one can uh, make sense of figuring out what are adjectives, what are nouns in here. Yeah. The verb, the verb is past tense. There's an yeah. ed. It's just. Yeah. It's ridiculous that that that, yeah. that the, the what was the phrase that that gra that gra the way that grammar uh, relates to uh, the grammar is sort of uh, 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 communicating the most the most basic aspects of of human reality. Yeah, essentially yeah. the yeah. most basic and more so than even the language. Is yeah, the way yeah, that, exactly. That, that, more than the words. More than more the than words. words. Exactly. More than the yeah. words is the way that we place things in yes. order yes. to string together meaning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. And that these things have meaning even when the words have none. Yeah, right. correct. Yeah, this yeah. all of a sudden has some meaning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, correct. And this is also extremely interesting as we're feeding artificial intelligence, which we'll talk yes. about later. Yes. Because how do you want to feed that? What code do you want to feed yeah, that? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to next next one. And so this this starts getting into uh, a solution to uh, the problem of language learning. Why so many people fail to learn languages? Um, this is a visual system that I've come up with for representing grammatical case. So what is grammatical case? A lot of English speakers especially don't know what case is because English arguably doesn't have case. Arguably it does, but even if it does, it's very limited. Um, case is the reason that you say, uh, she is there, I saw her. Okay. Case is the difference between she and her. Uh, right. Oh, oh, interesting. Yeah. You don't you say, say she twice or her twice. Exactly. Her is there. Exactly. Yeah, you don't yeah. say her is there. <clears throat> and you don't say I saw she. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You say I saw her. She is there. Yeah. Now, what's the reason? The reason is that she, in that, in, in that sentence, she is there, is the, it's called the subject in, uh, in linguistics. Um, her is called the object. Now, this is usually how it's explained to uh, students in a classroom. And usually they go, mm hmm, mm hmm, okay. <laughs> and then they think, yeah. what? What does that mean? They still don't get it. I'm just gonna yeah. remember it. Yeah, that exactly. Way. I'm, I'm just yeah. gonna memorize that. I'm gonna remember it, but I still don't really understand why it's like this. Yeah. Let alone when they get into more complicated languages that, ha that have even more cases like uh, German or Russian or Finnish and Hungarian have like 10 or 15 each, mm. um, then they're completely lost, right? And so, and I think that is actually the, the main problem with language learning is that people can't imbibe the grammatical structures of, of, of new languages, that those structures, those structures exist in those languages, but, uh, but people don't know how to learn them basically. And we don't even do a good job of explaining what they are. And so this is, is my beginning to a solution to this problem. Nominative case, you will, uh, you will see, we've got a nice little circle here. That's is where the subject goes. Yeah, yeah, it's in the locative case. That's more okay. complicated. I'll okay. get to that in a moment. Okay, okay. The nominative case is the case that the. Uh oh. Right, still going on. Out I'm here. sorry. I'm no sorry. It's all good. <laughs> I hate <laughs> my life. I wish I was never born. Okay. So the, uh, the subject is always in the nominative case. That's what they say. She, right? She would go there. Okay. Her would go here. Accusative. The accusative. The okay. direct object. Okay. Now, 
when you're explaining, I saw her, she yeah. is there, not quite clear what's going on. If you start drawing diagrams like this, you know, a lot of people are visually, you know, we're very visual animals, basically. Now you might start to uh, get around. You might, um, you might, um, um, what's the word? You might um, get a shortcut around the sort of directly linguistic explanation of what's going on here. Um, her, the direct object, is the thing that is being acted on according to the verb, which you might conceive of as, as, the, uh, as the arrow here. Okay. The subject is the thing which is doing, uh, doing, the, doing the verb, basically. Okay. So, you'll have a sentence like, I saw her. Uh-huh. Her is being seen. Yeah, yeah. I would be the subject there. Yeah, it would yeah. be the nominative. I saw. I yeah. saw Alan. Yeah. Right. That's a d- d- dative. D- d- the, the, the dative. The dative would be um, I gave Alan the book. Okay. Then um, okay. Alan would be the dative. Alan's the dative. You would I, be. Oh, I, yeah. I exactly. I gave Alan the dative. Yes. And then the, the uh, or the book is the book is the direct object. Exactly. The book yeah, would be okay. the direct object. It would be in the accusative because it is the book that is being given. Right. So Marco, like, I remember all of these. <laughs> I, I remember very, very little, but I remember yeah. words like this that were initially taught. Right. But then you're right. There's this period of like, I'm not going to look at this. I'm just going to yeah. I'm just going to memorize the way that yeah. these things are kind of structured. Yeah. And then yeah. I'm going to try and sound as literate as yes, possible. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of like the the math that we do in our heads. Yeah, that's kind of the process. Actually, it's yeah. interesting you mentioned that because um, I sometimes like to say, uh, you know, most people don't know this. Um, most people, I like to say, don't even know how to speak their own language. They know how to do it, but they don't know why. They don't understand the sort of technical structures that are, that are sort of being processed. And it's true, the sort of the mental way that they think about it is, I'm going to try and sound as literate as possible. <laughs> I'm going to try and imitate um, the people who sound the best that I have heard in a language. Yeah. I don't know, I probably don't know this, I probably don't know too much about linguistics or grammar or any formal structures, but, but I'm a human, I'm good at imitating, you know, and I'm gonna do it a lot. And it tends to work out, it tends to work out, right? It tends to work out. People, if you ask them, really could not explicate this stuff, which is, you know, which is very interesting. It's like... It's become a black box in a sense. Yeah, it, yeah. It, oh, oh, it's totally a black box. It's totally a black box, and it's, it's super fascinating that everybody who is alive, essentially, there might be people who, who, who can't speak any language whatsoever if they grew up in the wild and yeah. can't understand it, but I mean, even people who are mute understand language. Um, every single person in the world has a system. This is just case. There are maybe 40 to 50 grammatical categories is what they're called, sort of elements of grammar that have been identified um, among human languages broadly. Major world languages maybe use like 20 to 30, depending on which ones you're looking at. Um, this is just one of them. These are gl- yeah, grammar, exactly. gra- grammar patterns? Is yes, what this is? They're, they're essentially okay. patterns of grammar. And, and you said there's maybe 20 to 30 grammar patterns in like English and Mandarin, Arabic. Like yeah, that. broadly. So English okay. would have less, Arabic would have less, but if you take like the top 50 major world yeah. languages, they'd have like maybe 20 to 30 grammatical categories like between them that are used. Interesting. And the yeah. most, uh, most schools when you're learning English uh, give you some of these 20 to 30 yeah. grammatical yeah. patterns. Okay. They, they probably teach you some like tense is well known, uh, gender, number, definiteness. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I could go on, but, yeah. but those are tense, the sort of things. Tense we're is like about. the most yeah common one. Present, yeah, tense past, is easily future. understood. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And so you could draw sort of visual diagrams for all of these things, basically, to explain them. And they, they, they don't exist, basically. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's no way to represent this visually. And the reason I like it is because you can, um, typically, when you're explaining grammatical structures in a, in a linguistics class, the only way you can do it is by referencing individual languages. So I'll try to explain um, nominative and accusative case to you. And what I'll have to do is bring, bring up examples in a couple languages and then give you a, 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 a linguistic explanation for what this is. Yeah. But you cannot reference it without reference to any individual language, even though these things are common across languages. So what I like about the visual system and the reason I'm developing this Correct. is because it gives you like basically a, a neutral reference for these structures that exist in multiple languages. And so you could do a lot more diagrams like this. And it's very interesting that even though these, these extremely complex systems exist in every single person's head, Almost nobody could explain them if asked, even though they use them all the time. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> you you said it earlier that we 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 know the we 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 say we know a language, but yeah. when when asked to double click into that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Error four hundred four. Error four. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I love how you're doing visual representations. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, and then if if by breaking this down with examples like below, where you yeah. are going to write this out. For for people yeah. to, to yeah. understand it. I think it'll be really interesting to, to be, this is yeah. your double click in. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've, I've, I've used this with some, um, some people that I'm helping learn languages. Um, and uh, preliminary evidence so far, uh, it works. It works. Once you show an English speaker this and then explain the case system, it sticks and they know what to do. And this is a big hurdle for English speakers who learn uh, foreign languages with case. Uh, the, the, the classic example I have is when I, when I took German class in high school. It was me and three um, Americans. I mean, I'm American too, but, but the key thing is they did not speak Croatian, which mm -hmm. I did. Um, small class, intimate setting. The teacher could give each one of us lots of attention, yeah. so it's not like we were dozing off in class or anything. You know, we were all focused. Um, actually, the, the other three of them had studied German before, and I had not, so they even had maybe a bit of an advantage. And um, we're learning German, it's going well, until we get to, to the case system in German. German has four cases, nominative, mm -hmm. accusative, dative, and genitive. It doesn't have instrumental or locative, mm -hmm. that's uh, more like Slavic languages, but it does have those four. Um, English arguably has none or has uh, these three in limited forms. Mm -hmm. And so when, when the native English speakers start learning German case, they're, they're learning how, how uh, words are inflected. They are changed depending on what case the word is in. But they don't quite understand why it's like that. It's not obvious to them. It's not intuitive. And so what happens is they start memorizing these different forms. Like, you know, you can say uh, 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 der Hund, which is like the dog. Mm -hmm. Or you can say den Hund, which is also the dog. But it would be in a different uh, circle if you drew it out on this diagram, a different case. Okay. Um, and they can't. They don't know, you know, they can memorize which one to use in different situations, but there's actually a lot of overhead for them to memorize that because they're not learning the principle or the system. 
they're just memorizing that in this case it has to be this, and this one it has to be this, and what happens is they, they just don't learn it very well. Okay, because then they're almost using uh, an, an additional amount of, 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 let's say, this neural real estate in yes. order to yes. figure out where dog, or how to change the word dog, exactly. in, in where depending on where it goes. Exactly. And then they would have to do that same thing for cat, and the exactly. same thing for each like animal, let's say, or thing, versus if they learned the principle then, but they would still Well, it, it, it actually yeah, yeah. goes okay. deeper. It actually okay. goes deeper. Um, what they're trying to do is remember every single instance of a sentence where it would be nominative versus accusative versus dative versus genitive. And because, because they don't understand the principle, it's not intuitive to them. They haven't understood it. They haven't grokked it, if you will. They're trying to memorize these cases, like, 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 they, would, like they would say, um, if, you have, if you have a sentence with, um, with the verb to be, then it's always nominative, right? And you can say, um, in the case of, in case you're referring to possession of something, then it'll probably be genitive, right? And like, they'll sort of give these examples, and then what they'll have to do is they'll try and remember like the ways these different sentences look, and then try and guess what the right case is. But they'll be, it'll, it'll be sort of like they're memorizing that instead of understanding the principle of case. What is, why is case there? Because it's not actually arbitrary. Although when you learn it like this, it seems like it is, basically. It seems like just pointless complexity, but it's not. It's actually, you know, a lot of people think grammar is like a, something boring and complex and useless and annoying and arbitrary, but it's not. If it was, it probably wouldn't survive to the present day. It's actually, it, it, it actually simplifies language and communication. People just don't realize how. And to, to wrap this anecdote up, when they were having trouble learning case, I was not. To me, it was intuitive. That's very interesting. Why? Because Croatian also has the same cases and then some. And so that was one of the glitches in the matrix, like I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you know a language that has certain grammatical structures, you can essentially instantly sort of reapply those structures to a new language. Mm -hmm. Using different words and different morphology, different inflection, different like actual things that you produce, but you know how the conceptual relationships between them work immediately, mm -hmm. and it doesn't require any explanation. Mm -hmm. And so the gap that's missing, the sort of gap that's missing in learning, is teaching those conceptual structures directly, right? As opposed to letting them seep in over time naturally, which for most people just never happens, and that's why so few people know how to learn languages. And so this, this is what, this, uh, that is the problem that this is meant to solve, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a, a big part of this is one's ability to learn it, learn um, a, a principle set, a grammar uh, a pattern yes. in yes. a language, and then be able to apply that also to another language. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And um, and for certain ones, it will be different. Um, yeah. grammar, grammar patterns versus yeah, exactly, similar exactly. grammar You'll patterns. You'll have different sets of patterns and whatnot. Okay. So here's a here's an English example of. Um, Again, English does not quite have grammatical case, but the, um, the, the meaning that case is, uh, is producing is still in English, the conceptual relationship. So here you have, the man of the house gave the woman the book. In English, you don't really inflect these words depending on case, but the same conceptual relationship still exists. The man is the subject. He 
the man in the sentence sort of has the essence of existing. And when combined with the accusative is, uh, is sort of the cause as opposed to the accusative's uh, effectiveness. You've got your woman in the dative. There's indirect contact with uh, 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 the giving of the book. And the man is produced from the house. You can see the arrows sort of, you know, more or less sort of uh, intuitively display this bright, uh, basically, right? Um, if you took, if you took this, the meaning of this sentence in uh, in a number of other languages, all you would do is is replace the words in the circles, but the relationship would stay the same, right? Mm -hmm. And that would show you what the conceptual relationship between these things gotcha. is, right? So if you go to the next slide, I have a simpler example. Here we're doing this in Croatian, German, and English, yeah, right? Yeah. You've got totally different languages here, totally different languages, same words with the same meaning, but the thing that stays the same, other than just the meanings of the words, you could actually, you could actually change the words you know, in different ways and you would still have the same conceptual relationship. I'm repeating myself now, but you still have the same conceptual relationship, right? And that same conceptual relationship is grammatical case. And it's reapplied over and over and over and over again in almost everything that you might say. Mm. Because what you have here is you have a grammatical structure that is conveying the meaning of something like existence. It's implicitly conveying the meaning that a word you say is merely existing, right? If you have the dative case and you use a word in the dative case, you are conveying the meaning that, uh, that this word, this object, has some sort of contact with the verb that you are using, okay. right? Yep. You're conveying the meaning of this contact without saying it outright in a word. If you have accusative, you're conveying the meaning that this thing in the accusative is affected mm -hmm. by the thing in the nominative, right? Mm -hmm. With the nominative and the accusative, you sort of get this uh, cause and effect relationship, basically. Nominative alone is sort of like existence. It's like, is, I am here. That's, that, that would be a nominative statement. Is this a big part of grammar patterns, is cause and effect? The locations of these words and the yeah, way it's, structure? It's, yeah, it's, like, it's pretty big, yeah. We're referring to objects or people. Yeah in the outside in, of, of us and then, yeah. and then, or ourselves, let's say, but when we do that process, we're, we're, we're aiming to make, we're, we're using these words to make relationships yes. for other yes. people to understand how we think about the relationships yes. between those. Exactly, exactly. And so that's all the grammar is. That's all that grammar is. It's sort of baking in these uh, very complex uh, conceptual relationships into the words you're using. And that allows for very fast and efficient communication. Relationships basically. between words we are using. Yeah. Yeah. Words that denote objects in the world. Words that de yeah. yeah, words that denote objects in the world. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And that's yeah, that's how this is so crazy to think about how this evolved from the soup. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. It's uh it's very hard to think about, you know. How it evolved really from the soup and also where was the optimization? Like, what were the most optimizing parts of this? Like, the best parts? Yeah. And what are ones that are just bad? Like, which, like, what parts of linguistics are just, are just, they just require so much time mm -hmm. to learn and they're not that effective as tools? They're, they, what is the most, what's the highest utility aspects of, of language, let's say? Sure. So, I think the grammar is actually the highest utility feature of language. It's, it's hard for me to think of, um, you, you said like, what, what would be the worst thing? So I've, I've, I've done this interesting experiment with, uh, with people. I, I basically showed them this, 
and I teach them a little bit about grammatical categories and how they work in essay. And, and sometimes they ask, well, this is interesting, could you use this to create new grammatical categories, yeah, yeah. new conceptual structures? Yes. And what I say is, well, that's an interesting question. Can you think of some yourself right now? Yeah, that's exactly, and this is where all the hardest. Yeah, exactly. And, but but it, it, yeah, so, so you might think, well, no, I can't. But that's not totally true. You could think of new ways to do this. Totally. The actual problem you run into is thinking of new grammatical categories and structures conceptual structures that are not that are not really annoying and useless. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. It's hard to think of one, in fact I think it's 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 it might not be totally impossible but it seems almost impossible to think of ones that would be more useful than the ones you you, you naturally find in human languages. Correct. Right. So the question is then you, or the, the I, your function when you ask that question uh, what you're telling me to do find and make a new grammatical pattern. Yeah. My mind automatically thinks of what is the what's the highest utility of yeah. a grammatical pattern. Yeah. So when you're trying to basically trying to foot fill human existence into a grammatical pattern that yes. would be used most often exactly. to make it high exactly. utility. Exactly. And have you, what have you come up with with this? I think, I think basically all the grammatical categories that exist have extremely high utility. I think, I th I think they're all super high utility and it's, um, it's, sort of like, it's sort of difficult to like say that one is more useful than the other. It's sort of like tense is extremely useful in describing time, yeah. right? It's very good to be able to um, almost automatically convey whether something happened in the past, whether you think it'll happen in the future, if it's happening right at the moment. Um, definiteness is, uh, is pretty useful too. I think you mentioned earlier that the is the most common word in the English language. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Of course, yeah, and the is, uh, is the word, you know, there we go, the word. Yeah. Uh, it is the word in the English language that um, denotes definiteness, definiteness, which is also a grammatical category. And so the, the values of that category in English would be um, definite and indefinite. It would just be binary. And so definite would be the word. Indefinite would be a word. Mm -hmm. Definiteness, you know, sort of indicating whether the, the subject at hand is a particular, um, particular, I'm trying to think of the right term. I'm holding a book versus I'm holding the book. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like you, are, you are able to very quickly and easily convey whether an object you are discussing, an object that is uh, the topic of the conversation, is a particular member of a class or a set, or any member of a class or a set. Okay, right? interesting. Yeah, the particularity. Yeah, is. exactly, exactly. Okay, so it becomes the, the definitive, the, the, yeah. the, the definitiveness. Exactly, the definitiveness exactly. of the object. And, and, and so that's pretty useful. That's pretty useful, right? Because yeah. if you, you know, and it's funny because uh, not all languages have this. Like Slavic languages don't, uh, don't have overt definiteness. Like, um, and this is why, like, like you don't have a the or a in Russian. And this is why if you hear, if you hear like a stereotypical Russian accent like uh, on a TV show or something, they'll say things like, I have book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They won't say, I have a book or I have the book. They'll say, I have book. Yeah. yeah. Because you wouldn't, there's no word for the in Russian, yeah, right? Yeah, the definiteness is uh, contextual. And so this is how you get into, uh, now, you know, the, uh, the diagram's gone, but you know, you, you think about those diagrams, this is how you get into different languages, you might say, having different combinations of diagrams that are, that are present in the, in the uh, explicit, uh, explicit sort of production of the language. And this is where the, I think the most difficulty in a language learning uh, shows up, because it is really conceptual. It's not, you know, 
people think uh, learning a language is hard because I have to, I have to memorize so many words. Now, it's true that memorizing words is very, is difficult. The rote memorization, I believe, of Mandarin characters, something like 6,000 of them or Ooh. something, of the most uh, popular yeah, ones it's, or uh, it's, it's, it, Yeah, with Mandarin, it would be, um, you'd have to memorize 6,000 individual characters to, uh, what, what do they call it, to be like conversant or to have sort of daily literacy. Um, I think the total number of characters in Mandarin is more like 80,000. Eight, yeah, correct. 80,000. Yeah. Like, and, then, and then when you see a word in English and you don't know it, you can sound it out. But in Mandarin, yes. if you don't yes. know, you can't, you can't even interpret it. Yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah. exactly. This is, these are some interesting differences between languages. Yes, and, yes. And I'm, I'm, you, we, could, we could talk for so long about <laughs> yes. these differences. Yes, yeah. I know we can. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Ron, Ron, that's why I'm saying it, Ronnie. Yeah. I know. Um, which, you know, we'll have to come back and do part two on yeah. on, on, yeah. on, on, on oh, for sure. All things yeah. linguistics, especially as you continue evolving, yeah. um, um, what you're building in your mind. Um, I want to ask you some more thoughts. Um, the um, on a on a you know we touched on this a little bit, but really on a on an on an ideal language side of things. You know, a child's born into the world. We're we're trying to we're trying to help the child make sense of the world. Right? We're t teaching these words that give. That give context and relationships uh, yeah. outside of them and stuff, and um, I'm interested to know about like on a on a on a potential like on a neuroscience plus on a like on a Pareto distribution side of things like you know we I mean we're hinting at this so much earlier but like what is on yeah. an like on an ideal side of things it's just so hard to you know like you said what is a ideal grammar pattern yeah. what would be an ideal thing to teach a child as we go into this let's yeah. mesh this actually with the technology question actually yeah. Yeah. you know we're moving away from some of the limitations we have in these words yeah. love can mean so many different things as a yeah. word yeah. but a thought with something like uh, you know like a brain computer interface brain machine interface these types of um, these ways of potentially synchronizing what what someone is thinking with the with with what another person understands about it with a hundred percent accuracy yeah. instead of did you mean this or what did you mean with that yeah. yeah so yeah tell us about what your thoughts are about kind of optimizing the utility of words and grammar and yeah. with technology so I have a few thoughts I, I, I do have some friends who are working on brain computer interfaces they uh, they haven't hooked me up yet but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe when they do I'll, I'll have some direct experience of what the possibilities are but um you know it, it, it helps to think when, when you talk about this stuff um, it's interesting because the brain computer interface ideally if you sort of look at like the kinds of things you see in science fiction could be a replacement it could be a replacement technology for for language in other words, that language and this are trying to solve the same problem, which is how to communicate yeah. things that happen here yeah. over there with yeah. high fidelity. High fidelity. Yeah. yeah. And so if so so language is, is how we solve this problem, basically, I think, right, in the past. Um, got a lot of things going on up here, got a lot of things going on over there. If we combine the two, we could both benefit. But how do we do that? Well, we have language. We have a system of sounds and then later symbols so that that can be transferred over time. Um, we have very complex rules about how it works that allows us to be to have the fidelity, basically. We have a lot of words that allows us to have great sort of um, coverage. Um, if we were able to communicate telepathically, all that might just be pointless, basically, right? Language might just be obsolete. Yeah. 
you wouldn't need it. If, if I could just, you know, a lot of people have internal monologues where they sort of, uh, their, their brain is like sort of talking in their head is how they describe it. I, I mean, maybe you do. I definitely yeah. do have an yeah. internal monologue, yeah. Totally. But some, some people don't, some people don't. And all thought is definitely not verbal. All of it is definitely not. You see images, you yeah. remember smells, you get like That's right. weird movements that you can't even put into words basically. Like like yeah. the mind is a big place. Not all of it is linguistic. The spiritual so, moments. Yeah, that yeah, are, yeah, exactly. Words behind yeah, exactly, things, yeah. exactly. And so if you were able to directly transfer that somehow with high fidelity, then what would the point of language be? Yeah. Yeah. The, and then well then the, maybe the, the it becomes a thought to thought. Yeah. Yeah. Thought, thinking to thinking, uh, feeling to feeling, experience to experience, yeah. quality to quality, a type yeah. of yeah. thing rather than uh, the ambiguity of using these yeah. words. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, if we don't get to, I mean, perfect telepathic communication, obviously this is a pretty speculative uh, thing right now. Um, people are trying to do something like that. If they, if they get, let's say, let's, let's say they get halfway there. Um, you could definitely integrate that sort of technology uh, with with language as it exists now, and and improve language. Yeah. Yeah. And so, for example, like um, I was discussing earlier, a lot of people just have just have arguments about semantics. They they don't actually agree on the definitions of words. Mm -hmm. So it might be very interesting if um, if you took some more some more abstract uh, some more abstract words like spirit, soul, mind, brain. Mm -hmm. These are, these are four words that are different, have, have different meanings, but it's a bit difficult to pin down exactly how different the meanings are because they're, they're very abstract, mm -hmm. right? Brain is less abstract, but it's related to the other three. Well, consciousness, might, yeah. Consciousness, yeah, let's, yeah, let's add five. Consciousness, conscience, let's say six, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, we know the difference between water and orange juice, very clear, very obvious difference, right? Uh, differences between these six things, brain, yeah, yeah, mind, yeah. you know, yeah. not as clear. Not obvious. Not obvious. Yeah. And people probably end up in a lot of arguments over, over reality because they don't, they don't realize like, I might be using the word spirit and you might, you might have a different meaning for spirit that is difficult for us to, to, uh, to get to the bottom of. So if you had sort of brain computer technology, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but maybe it could help uh, accurately quantify these these differences in meaning in people's heads, basically. Yep, right? yep, yep. That's could it. That's it. Could correct. Be correct. Could the be differences in people's heads making a high, yeah, yeah the more um, direct, direct um, qualia communication. Yeah, like exactly. It's so exactly. interesting. Exactly. Um, all right. Now, wrapping on our show, we like to ask questions for our guests. <laughs> yeah, the first question. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The first question we're going to ask you is, are we alone in the cosmos? Ooh, interesting, interesting. So, I would I would start off my answer by recommending that uh, that, you, that you and everybody who's uh, everybody who's listening checks out the Polish science fiction writer Stanislav Lem. That's L E M. Very few people know about him, but this is one of this is one of his key questions. And his answer is, is the answer that I have. He's got a lot of great novels. I, I highly recommend Solaris, that might be the most famous one, but his, his answer is basically this. If there was life out in the universe that we didn't know about, the universe could be teeming with life, in fact, and 
it might just be impossible for us not just to communicate, but to even notice. Mm. And why is that? Because the universe has such a huge sort of possibility space. It's like, if there's life out there, we wouldn't just have to be able to sort of speak a common language. We'd have to be on the same scale. Scientific pro level of progress. Not scientific progress, okay. of okay. literal being. Okay. So let me put it this way. What if, there are, what if there are civilizations so small, they are smaller than the smallest particles that we've identified? Like ants on, a, like on another, yeah, sure, or par, par, smaller than particles. What, smaller than that. What if, yeah. what if there are beings so big that... They're planets or something. Yeah, like, yeah, which, which is actually the plot of Solaris, in fact. So <laughs> we're definitely on the same wavelength here. But Interesting. what if there are beings whose lifespan is a billion years? Yeah. They would just never notice us. What if, what if there are beings whose lifespan is, is like a nanosecond of a nanosecond or, or whatever, right? The possibility space is huge. The possibility space for what intelligence means is yeah. huge. Like, like there, there, there are so many assumptions in the sort of idea of a, of a Martian arriving, right? There's so many assumptions that, that we would be on the same level as them, not just in terms of civilization, but literally just, like, like literally existence, size, time, lifespan, um, thought process. What if there are, you know, gravity, gravity is a force that exists in the universe that we don't even fully understand, even though it really directly affects our lives if we don't take it seriously. What if there are other forces that we just haven't discovered yet that, that, that can sustain some sort of life that's not, that's not physical material life in the sense that we think of it, right? I mean, like, like, like we literally just have no idea what's out there. And this is basically the point of Stanislav Lem, and, yeah. and it's sort of how I look at it too. There could, be, there could be beings here right now that we, right. that we are, just cannot perceive and they cannot perceive us, right? We, we don't know enough about the nature of reality to, yeah. to have a good handle on the possibility space and then definitely say, well, it's unlikely that they're out there or it is likely that it's out there. Now, yeah. I know about Fermi's paradox and stuff like this. Totally, totally. Yeah. An assumption there is that, is that uh, the aliens that Fermi is looking for and describing are on our sort of scale and yeah, on our level, our right? I love how you went to the imagination space. Yeah. Uh, that's very important. And we, you know, that's one of the reasons why our show is simulation because, you know, you yeah. really got to think in an abstract, imaginative way about civilizations and yeah. what yeah, could absolutely. potentially evolve absolutely. in this massive imagination yeah. space. Two more questions. Next one is... We got one more question. This is simulation. We got one more question. Okay. 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 Um, this is simulation, so we must ask you, are we in a simulation? Yes. Okay. No hesitation. 100%. Okay. Why? 100%. 100%. All world religions and spiritual traditions held the position that we live in a simulation. They just didn't use that word. What did they use? They just called it the world. But the way they describe the world, right? Like, like, you have to ask yourself, what is a simulation? What are the features of a simulation? A simulation has rules. A simulation is created by someone. It's created someone for some purpose, presumably, mm -hmm. right? What are other sort of abstract, you know, conditions we can use? Let's, let's just use those three. So a simulation is... It's like a, a math test. It's a yeah, math yeah, test, exactly. and then there's a test. Exactly. Something. It has rules, it has a creator, it has a purpose. All world religions believe this about the world. Mm, there yeah. are rules, yeah, yeah. there's a creator, and there's a purpose, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And so a simulation doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be in binary digits or whatever, basically, yeah. right? It could be 
Uh, you could run, you know, very interesting kinds of simulations. You know, it's like, it doesn't have to be that per se. And even if it is, to us, it's all the same. You know, to us, it's all the same for part of the simulation. So, so yes, I would say yes. Well, and I would say it is a simulation because I look at the world. I do think there are rules in the world, laws of physics and whatnot. Um, I think I think there is a creator of some kind, and I think that I think rules have to come from some sort of some sort of intelligence of some kind. And um, I have not quite figured out the purpose. I don't know if anybody has, but it seems like we're all heading somewhere. If you see what I mean, and so yeah. Given that those three conditions are satisfied, I think we do, in fact, live in a simulation. And, and I think we're all in agreement on that. That's interesting. <laughs> Given where we're heading. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, that's very interesting. Margo, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for coming absolutely. on the show and teaching absolutely. us all about theoretical linguistics. Thank you for work. having me. Thank yeah, you. Huge, absolutely. Huge it's been a pleasure. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad you had a good time. We're excited <laughs> to do an update with you soon. Yes. Um, yeah, we're really excited to continue seeing your work evolve. Everyone, check out the work below to Marco's uh, links. He's got his website link below, his Twitter link below. Go and check those out. Read them up. Give them shares. Should yes. I do the glasses now? Oh, yeah, do the glasses. Let's do the moment. glasses. Yeah, He's got, a fan of my glasses. Yeah, we're fan of the glasses look at that holy cow subscribe to simulation <laughs> i love it there we'll, we go we'll have to there double your pay that was so good <laughs> so zero dollars doubled it's still zero dollars got it yeah okay <laughs> uh thanks thanks everyone give us your thoughts in the comments below on linguistics on all these different things that we talked about go and share these types of thoughts with your communities with your friends with your families talk about linguistics more and how we evolved to actually get to this point that we're at today Support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. All of simulations links are below. Support the ones in your communities as well. Help us grow. Huge shout out to Ron Vagas for producing and directing. We love you very much. Thank you. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Peace.